Welcome to the CBIA BizCast powered by Google. I'm Amanda Marla with CBIA, and today on our podcast, we're joined by Reverend Aaron Miller from the Metropolitan Community Church of Hartford and Jamie Welsh, an associate with Shipman and Goodwin. Jamie, Reverend Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're so happy to have you guys on here. And we really want to start out and give you guys just a moment to tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, you know, and, and how you got into the positions you're in. All right, well, let me kick it off. Um, and it's wonderful uh, to be here. And thank you for the invitation to join you today, Amanda. Uh, I am Reverend Aaron Miller. I'm the pastor of the Metropolitan Community Church of Hartford. And we have a ministry which is called TV365, which is a specific ministry for the transgender community. And TV stands for Trans Voice and Visibility, and the 365 is the days in the year. I'm also a chaplain at the Yale Gender Program in New Haven. And I am transgender and transitioned 14 years ago. So you can imagine that I'm pretty passionate about this subject. Certainly. Well, we're, we're looking forward to hearing from you, uh, you know, from your perspective and really helping everyone. Uh, Jamie? Hi there. Um, thank you as well for the invitation. Um, glad to be here. Uh, I'm an attorney with Shipman and Goodwin, um, which is one of the larger Connecticut law firms. Um, my practice focuses on the representation of clients um, in a variety of litigation matters, business disputes, contracts, uh, product liability, um, as well as representation of creditors in bankruptcy cases and insolvency proceedings. Um, and I also just maintain a uh, pretty active pro bono pra practice uh, through a variety of firm partnerships that the um, Chipman and Goodwin has, the most recent being our firm's partnership with GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, which goes by GLAD, um, which is how I came to meet Reverend Miller. Yeah, and so, you know, it's not often that we hear this collaboration between community church and, and a law firm. So, um, Reverend Miller, do you want to talk a little bit about that program and, and how you guys got involved together? Sure. I was working with the University of St. Joseph's Master in Social Work program in Hartford on another community-based project. And we thought it would be another great collaboration if we did this um, ID clinic. And we reached out to GLAD and uh, Shipman and Goodwin joined us. And, and then suddenly we had a program where we could offer uh, a legal name and gender change clinic at our church in Hartford, Connecticut. And what a great collaboration it's been, by the way. We offer different gifts and abilities and talents uh, to do this good work in the transgender community emotionally, spiritually, uh, legally, and socially. So it's been a wonderful collaboration. Awesome. Well, I want to talk, you know, about the Transgender ID project that you guys are both working on in a little bit. But first, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be transgender and how it impacts the hiring process, um, ongoing employment. Reverend Miller, can you give us some insight? Being transgender is, and transgender is an umbrella term, and it covers those who identify as transgender, non-binary, intersex, and more. But transgender more commonly is used as, to refer to someone whose gender assigned, or sorry, sex that's assigned at birth is different from their gender as they know themselves to be. We have a gender identity, all of us, but most of us aren't even aware of it because it's congruent. But for those who are transgender, there's a disconnect between the two. 
I am transgender, and as I said before, I've worked in corporate positions for many years before my call to ministry, and I transitioned on the job. I would say that the hiring process is daunting, given there could be a fear, of, and there is a fear of discrimination. There can be awkward explanations with gaps in employment if time was taken to physically transition, and when a legal name does not match the chosen name. Uh, that's why this particular project helps to get the documents in order so that that disconnect doesn't happen. Can you imagine if the, uh, my legal name was Annie and I'm sitting there applying for a job and have to explain immediately why that doesn't make any sense to anyone at all because our names are really quite gendered. But for ongoing employment, I, I would ask the question, is our culture already of acceptance organizationally top down? Are there policies in place to protect are there champions or allies to help in employment related matters and to offer personal support? So those are just some of the ongoing employment issues that I, I recognized. Go ahead, Jamie, please. Um, yeah, you know, for the, the question that was asked is <laughs> what does it mean to be transgender and how, how that sort of affects the hiring process? I'm not transgender, although I do have a gender neutral name. So I guess I would have an easier time of it than a lot of people. Um, you know, other issues just in, in the workplace challenges that people face, you know, we see some of that on the legal side because, um, you know, we, my firm in particular has an employment law practice and we represent uh, employer side um, businesses. And so we, um, we do a lot of advice and counsel to businesses about issues that sort of come up in the workplace. Um, as Reverend Miller said, uh, transgender individuals have faced a lot of discrimination, mistreatment. Um, some examples of workplace harassment in, have included refusal to use a transgender individual's correct name or pronouns, um, the making of discriminatory or derogatory comments, um, in, the imposition of invasive personal questions. Um, as, as Reverend Miller discussed, there could be, you know, awkward explanations, but there also could be really improper um, prying invasive questions um, about a transgender individual's gender identity. Um, there's also been issues with respect to access to bathrooms that correspond with an individual's gender identity. You know, that's an issue that's sort of been blown up by the media, but it's certainly still an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, we frequently counsel businesses on how to handle those types of issues, how to uh, conduct an appropriate investigation with respect to allegations of discrimination or misconduct, um, what type of discipline would be appropriate uh, for the, um, the employee who is maybe harassing another employee. Um, and you know, it wasn't until 2020, um, so just two years ago that the United States Supreme Court held in the case of Bostock v. Clayton County, Georgia, that an employer violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, um, which makes it unlawful to discriminate against an individual because of an, because of an individual's sex, um, that it's unlawful to uh, fire an individual for being either gay or transgender. And so that was just, just two years ago um, that they clarified um, the protections under Title VII. Um, thankfully in Connecticut, we have, <laughs> we have very broad anti-discrimination uh, provisions under state law, um, but it doesn't mean that there aren't still many barriers to employment and discrimination in the workplace and even the hiring process. As Reverend Miller said, um, 
if your legal name or gender, uh, your gender marker on your IDs don't match um, your gender identity and how you present, um, you know, you can you can face that discrimination even if it's not explicit. Um, similarly, an individual who is transgender may be outed earlier than they would otherwise choose to be because of that disconnect between how they present and their legal name. Um, and so that's why we at Shipman and Goodwin are just really excited about our partnership with GLAD and Reverend Miller's congregation um, on this transgender ID project to help eliminate some of those barriers. How do you think the inclusion of transgender people can benefit a business? You know, what value do you think that it, that it can bring to the workplace, uh, you know, and its employees? Well, inclusion of gender variant people, um, like other differences, enriches the company's uh, culture, right? And individually, it sends the message, we value you, bring your whole self to the job. And that whole self will give more to the company, care more about themselves, their coworkers and customers, everyone, including the business benefits and flourishes. And I saw that firsthand in the company that I worked for, because I transitioned on the job and it it sends a message ripple through um, that everyone is welcome and all of you is welcome. And the other thing too, which is a direct bottom line benefit is that it's, um, it affects employee retention. So the better you treat your employees and the more welcome and inclusive you are, the longer people tend to stay in the job. And that's a direct benefit to the company. And let's talk a little bit about this, you know, transgender ID project. It's really helping people, um, you know, go through the legal process, especially if they're seeking employment. Uh, Jamie, do you kind of want to start off and talk a little bit about the project and the kind of resources Shipman and Goodwin's providing? Happy to. Um, so the transgender ID project provides free legal assistance to transgender individuals who would like to change their legal name, as well as to change their name and gender marker on state and federal identity documents. So that would include um, a probate court process to change your legal name, um, and then also changing your legal name and gender marker on things like your passport, social security card, driver's license, um, other state ID, birth certificate, and even your marriage certificate. So um, GLAD, which is a uh, legal aid organization based in Massachusetts, um, started up this project and then reached out to our firm to partner with them in it as it, um, as it relates to Connecticut. So GLAD works in all of New England um, and we are their Connecticut partner firm. Um, so we've worked with them to prepare self-help materials for individuals residing in Connecticut that are seeking to go through this process. And then we also um, will take referrals from GLAD and we'll provide le free legal representation to anyone who would like to work with an attorney through the process. Um, so how that sort of roped into with Reverend Miller, um, you know, his, his congregation is obviously doing great work in this area. Um, it's so exciting. He has a pre-existing uh, relationship with God as well. And so um, the Transgender ID Project uh, sort of evolved with his involvement to, to have these, um, these one day clinics and we're really excited to participate in those. Um, so you can either come to a, one of our one day clinics, you could, or you can um, go to GLAD's website, they have a fillable form, um, and you can just request legal assistance, no matter uh, what state you live in, they will either pair you with a partner firm in a New England state, 
or if you reside outside of New England, um, they will just work to get you, <laughs> get you the legal assistance you need and uh, they have the contacts and the, re the resources to do that. Okay, and, and Reverend Miller, you guys have already had one clinic so far. You know, tell me about that and, and when the next one is. Well, the first clinic we had during Pride Month, which was June, this past June, and we um, had a good start. <laughs> it was the first one we had ever had, and so we were inventing something new. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, I think it went very, very well. We had a wonderful turnout. We had wonderful uh, support from all of us as collaborating partners. Uh, this next one is going to be held, building on that success, is November 5th, Saturday, from noon to 5 p.m. And if you want to find where we are, just check out our website, you know, mcchartford.com. So uh, I, I guess for me, and we have a partner in this too, we have a corporate, uh, well, it's a uh, business partner, Healthcare Advocates International, who's helped to sponsor us in this as well. So um, I think for me, the vision is to have as many people involved as possible and to offer this and more to the community. Um, our vision is to invite others to join us and strive towards wellness and wholeness spiritually, emotionally, physically, and legally. And we've been able to put this all together in this one project, and that's kind of what we do. In the, transgen the transgender community, as I know, I'm sure you may know, is a very vulnerable and targeted community, religiously, politi politically, and socially. And this particular project, people, when I had my name change, it was a very emotional endeavor. And I did it alone, and I didn't know what to do. And it was uh, because you're letting go of something that you may not, well, we don't identify with necessarily, and we're starting a new chapter, but we haven't started it yet. And so it's highly emotional. And that's why I wanted to have people there, whether it's so, social work as well as congregational pastoral care people, so that we can lift up and support those that come in because they may be very emotional and they also may have no other support, which is very typical in our community that families either um, uh, kick out their kids or you know, they're estranged from family members and they have very little support. And the one thing that I want to highlight, because what drives me and my North Star on all of this, is that there's a very high rate of suicide in, in the transgender community. It's well understood that 41% of us attempt suicide. And if I added those who think about it and, and don't attempt, we're probably very high into the 80s and 90s. So for me, it's affirmation, yes, but it's also survival. So it's uh, affirming life, but it's also saving lives. And so that's the kind of approach we have in the hospitality in the hospitality that we offer everybody coming in. Yeah, and so there's certainly that, you know, emotional strain, um, you know, the difficulty of going through the process emotionally, but legally there's a lot to it as well. So how long um, does the legal process take and why is it so important to have some legal representation and, and advice going through it? Yeah, so the, the length of the process really can vary. Um, as Reverend Miller sort of um, previewed, it's an emotionally, it's like emotionally a roller coaster of a process. And it may be that you think you're ready and you stop start several times and that's totally okay. You know, it, it goes at the speed that you're comfortable with. And, you know, we as attorneys will just support you in whatever you're, whatever you're choosing. We can give you an overview of the process and maybe you call us a year later and say, oh, I'm finally ready. Um, so we sort of take you where you are. Um, but then there's also just 
uh, if you're ready to go, there's still a lot to um, the steps that you need to take. So there's legal documents you have to gather in advance. Um, for instance, you need a certified copy of your long form birth certificate. Uh, people generally don't have that lying around. I don't, <laughs> I certainly don't have a copy of my own birth certificate. <laughs> um, you also just need to, you know, gather your social security card, legal ID, um, passport if you have one, um, and then also a certified copy of your marriage certificate if you also are seeking to make changes to that. Um, so the first step in the process is to file an application to change your legal name. Um, that's done with either your city or town's probate court. And here in Connecticut, there are 54 probate districts as well as six regional children's probate districts. Um, and each of those courts have varying waiting times. <laughs> and so the process may take uh, longer or shorter depending on where you reside and where you're filing. Um, so here in, I'm based here in Hartford, um, the Hartford Probate Court, um, I know from experience that a legal name change typically takes about six weeks from the time you file. Um, so once you get through that whole process with the probate court, um, you then need to update your name and gender marker on your legal identity documents. So um, we always recommend that you do your passport first because your passport can serve as sort of a foundational document um, that makes the process for changing other documents much easier. Uh, and, you know, there's uh, changing your passport. It could either be applying for a passport or um, requesting a update to an existing passport. And the passport waiting times are the are what the passport waiting times are. <laughs> I think we've all heard stories. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes a couple months, sometimes it's faster. Um, maybe it's luck of the draw, hard to say. Um, and then once you have that done, you can update your social security card, your, your state ID, your birth certificate, marriage certificate. Um, and so as you can see, the whole process takes at a minimum of a few months. Um, you know, anywhere from four to six, if that was going fast. Um, but the people who benefit most from individualized legal advice as they're going through this process um, are people with criminal records, uh, minors who don't have a parent who's willing to consent to the desired name change or gender change, um, gender marker change. Um, uh, in particular, individuals facing housing insecurity so for instance, your probate court is based on where you're residing. And if you don't have a permanent address, that just makes the process much more difficult and we can help you through that. Um, and then there's also just, uh, you know, if you have heightened concerns about privacy or um, security, um, you could benefit from a, an attorney helping you for, through the process. Reverend Miller, how helpful is it, you know, to have, this legal help to guide you at least through that path? Well, uh, as you are mentioning it, Jamie, I, I wish I had been with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I During was thinking, process. right? You know, I take that not, as a compliment. <laughs> please do. Well, you know, the truth of it is, is that anything legal is daunting, right? And it's not done. And, and you look at this as a social justice issue. I mean, we make it so complicated for people who are emotionally, you know, uh, working through things to try and get to where they where they need to get. So I think 
some of it, and because it's so emotionally weighted, that sitting with somebody who has clarity, who can just say, oh, we just need to answer this, don't worry about that, that's not going to be important, and just kind of put you at ease, that you can deal with the emotional transition, if you will, uh, while we help you with the legal transition. Why do you think that it's important for Shipman and Goodwin to, to really be a partner and step up and, and offer this service? Um, you know, our firm was just really excited about the project as soon as GLAD reached out to us. Um, you know, we're always looking to get our attorneys involved in pro bono service. And GLAD explained to us um, that this is really an unmet need in Connecticut and that people really could use this legal advice to help them through what is a really intimidating, tricky process, especially for someone who also is going through, as Reverend Miller said, um, a large, tumultuous emotional <laughs> process alongside. Um, so anything that we can do to help uh, those individuals uh, have an easier time of it, um, we're really, we're really happy to do so. Um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are core values of our firm. Um, and so this project is a uh, joint endeavor between our diversity, equity, and inclusion committees and our pro bono committee. And I sit on um, I sit on both of those, so I can tell you everyone is just really excited about it. Um, and it just like allows us to make a, a, a difference to individual clients who, who really need our help. And I think that's just so important, you know, for the transgender community to know that there's people out there helping them. Um, but it's really important, you know, for them also to be accepted in their workplace and, and you know, simplify the process. How should a business, uh, you know, best respond when someone comes to them, you know, and says, look, you know, I'm going through this change. What's the, the best way that business leaders can really be supportive in this? Um, hopefully, and I guess this is the true hope, and, and we're in a process, right, because the, just in Connecticut alone, this, this protection was in place in 2011, so we passed a law that required all employers, or I think under 50 employees, to comply, and, and they didn't know anything about this or how to go about it, so I think I, I want to put some, you know, some some grace in here, I guess I want to say that we're still working towards improving and making it better. So I guess my ideal is that I hope that business responds first by planning and preparation and having it ready for that, that conversation and that to happen. Because, you know, is someone transgender in your workplace? I'd, I'd probably say a high, high yes to that. You've either had or you have. Most of the time you don't know where, and it's funny because they talk about transgender people in different places, and yet we've been there all along. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've been with you shopping, we've been with you getting, uh, as a student, uh, we've been your parents. I mean, we've been around uh, for a long, long time in different um, ways, but, but in a business, you can prepare for that day. You can have education ahead of time. Right. You can educate and I would recommend educating your staff before you, your senior staff before you uh, educate your employees, because you want to make sure that this is an this is a culture you're creating from the top down messaging through forms, policy and practice, you know, act, asking names and pronouns when hiring and in meetings. I mean, doing that across the board is is letting everybody know that everybody needs to say it. So you're normalizing a practice and establish support uh, like an alliance. Some have groups that do alliances. 
um, which is a safe place to meet on company property or off company property, but sponsored by the company. And an HR or other person who can be an ally and kind of help you find the right people and the right way to do this. Again, it's an emotional thing. And when I did it, I walked in thinking I was going to be fired because I I walked into HR before 2011. Okay, so th it, it can be very helpful for somebody to help you through the process. But, you know, generally speaking, employees are picking it up all around the place with that messaging, whether it's through word or pictures or policy. So also non-gendered bathrooms and not having company functions that are not gender or no company functions that are gender exclusive. All right, so you think about a men's group that meets or a woman's group that meets, if it doesn't have language like those who don't identify as male, you know, so that, in, that involves everybody or uh, more of the population and people. It welcomes people that otherwise wouldn't feel welcome. So I think those are the, some of the steps that could be taken. Right. Well, thank you. That's such great insight, especially, you know, for the business community. Um, and I know that this uh, project for both of you is really just one aspect of the help that you guys have provided. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the other resources that you offer? Our firm frequently provides uh, advice to businesses um, on some of these challenges faced by uh, gender issues in the workplace. Um, for instance, it may be that a business needs to update its employee handbook, its policies, its benefits, um, so that they're inclusive of transgender individuals, and also are reflective of state and federal anti-discrimination laws. Um, considering leave policies, uh, if it's explicit in the policy, you know, medical leave for gender-affirming treatment should be treated equally as other types of medical leave. Um, parental leave should be inclusive of different types of parents. Um, we've seen some policies are written um, with respect to the term birth parents, um, you know, things like that uh, can be updated uh, and we can, you know, provide the, the context for the employer um, of why it's important to do so. In uh, that way, transgender employees also aren't struggling to sort of determine where they fit under a particular policy or benefit. Um, and then it just also helps to create an environment where people feel safe, respected, valued for who they are. Um, so we would also recommend considering coordinating an anti-discrimination uh, training for employees. Um, we do those frequently. Um, as Reverend Miller said, um, consider the adoption of gender neutral bathrooms. Um, we like to, uh, you know, I like to see it <laughs> more and more now. You see uh, email signature blocks changing to include pronouns on them. Um, and it sort of cuts um, any sort of ambiguity out of it and just make sure that, you know, this is a common thing. We're all talking about it like it's normal um, because it is. So as, as Reverend Miller described, changes to workplace culture are really driven from the top down. Um, and there's a lot of small but important steps a business can take to sort of build that culture of inclusivity and allyship. Ways to support your transgender employees are by hosting events that bring ongoing awareness, sensitivity, compassion, and understanding. And some simple ones are March 31st is the International Transgender Day of Visibility. Uh, during the month of June, of course, is Pride. The Transgender Day of Remembrance is November 20th, and that's within the Transgender Awareness Week. 
and attend or, or um, table at Pride events, support local community organizations, promoting their events over your employee distribution of uh, you know, communications, and also offer financial support. There are some corporate businesses that are supporting local community uh, organizations that are doing this good work. But these are, these are uh, and one business mentioned to me that, that these are spaced during the year so you can actually add some education along the way so it keeps it fresh and the sensitivity and awareness and all that growing and you're building upon it each event. So those are great examples. So as far as the, um, um, the resources we offer at the Metropolitan Community Church of Hartford is actually through this TB365 and beyond because that's specifically for transgender folks. Um, and what we do in that in that ministry and that outreach has really been profound. Uh, we hosted or co-hosted the first trans pride, uh, sorry, the first trans prom in New Haven. Um, we are offering this clinic the second time. We help with urgent needs. So we've helped people that had uh, housing insecurity or food insecurity. We have transi transition related needs. We have asylum seeker now uh, that are seeking support who are fleeing from countries such as Ghana and Jamaica because of gender identity or sexual orientation. And we're constantly expanding our reach and depth. But for me about this ministry, it's much more than, and I've said this, it's about needs and dreams. So yes, we'll, we'll provide that toothbrush but we want to know what your dream is because that's what's going to keep you alive and have you flourish in your life. You won't always be in this place of basic needs. And we want to help people reach out. And as I said, I've got corporate support uh, to help in meeting some of those needs and this vision, which is growing every day. So you can contact the church for more information and support. And I uh, obviously, um, I'm a pastor and a chaplain, so um, I would tell you that I'm also doing, of course, spiritual care and support of the individuals, uh, and that's particularly needed now because of the religious rhetoric that has been coming out, and one of the things that I strive and always, always say or say very often is, you are loved and lovable. Okay, and that God created you just the way you are. And this, this creation story um, and finding room in that, a lot of religious rhetoric uh, pushes back against that and says some things that don't make you feel lovable or make you feel disordered. Um, and none of that's true. And so a lot of the work I do is helping to heal from religious harm as well as to give you a uh, connect you with a community, beloved community, where you will be affirmed, you will be not just affirmed, you'll be celebrated, and you will be loved, and we will be your family when they they turn and walk away. And we've done that for many, 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 many people. And so it's good work that we do, but we also are a resource. So, uh, and we've been doing this for going on 50 years now. So I encourage you to get a hold of me. My direct line is on the website as well. So you can contact me directly. Is there anything else that you guys would like to add? Um, you know, just, I would say ways to get access to additional resources and information. Um, I'd just like to plug again the Transgender ID Clinic that is being hosted at Reverend Miller's Church, um, Metropolitan Community Church in Hartford on November 5th, uh, noon to 5. And then um, otherwise free resources for transgender people living um, in New England that like to change their legal name 
um, and as well as change their name and gender marker on their identity documents. There's lots of great resources on GLAD's website. It's glad.org slash ID. Um, it contains links to self-help resources um, for every state in New England. Um, and there's also a fillable form if you'd like GLAD to pair you with a pro bono attorney that would be happy to assist you in this process. Um, you know, for individuals residing in Connecticut, you'll get referred to Shipman and Goodwin. For individuals residing in other states, um, GLAD has partnerships with Ropes and Gray, Good, um, Goodwin Proctor, um, and other folks um, that practice primarily in those states. Um, and then if you're a Connecticut employer who needs advice and counsel um, in re relation to these workplace issues, um, you know, consider Chippen and Goodwin. I'm not an employment lawyer, um, but I'm happy to connect you with one. And the only thing that I would add is um, all of this drives us to wellness and wholeness and to creating a life that flourishes. And there's a social justice aspect of this, which I have to raise up that, you know, this is about giving equal opportunity uh, to people that are very, very vulnerable and excluded in our communities. And we can be that voice and we are collaborating to become a larger and louder voice that there are people that care. There are people that are here to help you. And there are people here to celebrate who you are and who you're becoming. And so for that, uh, being the pastor, I have to say amen. <laughs> well, thank you so much to the both of you for joining us today. Um, really, you know, great to learn a little bit about more about what you guys are doing and really help help the community. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple or YouTube. And for more episodes, visit cbia.com. <laughs>